Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about how I can start, run and sell the Bootstrap business. This episode is called The Grief and Loss of Selling a Business. Let's get started. This week, my partner, co-founder and the love of my life, Danielle Simpson, appeared on the Software Social Podcast hosted by Michelle Hansen and Colleen Schnettler. In a remarkably open and honest conversation, Danielle touched upon many different topics regarding our journey with Feedback Panda, but one thing stood out to me, her story of how she dealt with the aftermath of selling the business. Now, I have talked about this um, before on several podcasts myself, but listening to Danielle share her perspective made me think quite a bit this week. So I highly recommend listening to her account because it provides some context and contrast even to what I'm talking about here today. But let me just share my thoughts here today. We sold our business back in mid-2019, so just before this weird pandemic happened. And I was on the brink of burnout at that point from being the sole technical person in a company with thousands of customers. I was anxious, I was stressed, and... Honestly, I was glad to have the opportunity to step back from the day-to-day work in the SaaS business. And also, honestly, too, this chance of becoming financially secure with the sale was very alluring. Still, I knew from having listened to many episodes of the Indie Hackers podcast and John Warlow's Built to Sell Radio that selling your business isn't exclusively a positive experience. Like Many people shared their stories and there was always something there. So I read about that, I knew about it, and I thought I was prepared. But I wasn't. When we handed over the reins to our company, it only took the people at Trustrift Capital a few days to completely replace us. And that really wasn't surprising because we had consciously built a sellable business and we made ourselves easily replaceable. That was the whole point. But what did surprise me was how empty my days felt right after that. I knew that life would slow down for a bit, but I wasn't aware how much that would confuse me. Originally, my plan for this time after selling the business, for many, many years that I had this plan, was to take a mini-retirement. I had it all planned out in my head, and it involved a whole lot of playing World of Warcraft, cooking, reading, and relaxing. And yeah, this has had been my dream for decades, when I would finally retire. That was my, like, my old-age kind of dream. And I enjoyed this, for exactly three days. By day four, I felt horribly empty. So what was going on? Here I was doing what I thought I always wanted to do instead of working. Within less than a week, I knew that this was something that would never bring me the joy that it might have brought a decade ago when I did all of these things because I was a student and that really didn't have any responsibilities. I have since understood why this felt so unfulfilling. I didn't only sell a business, that's what happened on the outside, but I gave away my catalyst for passion. And that made the difference. Building a business with Danielle has been the most satisfying thing I had ever done up to that point. No matter how fondly I remembered my World of Warcraft rate leading days back in 2008, where I had a lot of fun, they were still totally eclipsed by building a software product that helped notoriously underappreciated teachers in the online space, create a better life for themselves. And we could see this, right? I had just experienced a baseline shift in what I could do with my life. And this social impact of Feedback Panda at scale, like thousands of people that were our customers and had their lives become better, 
was the new baseline for what I could accomplish. And I had just given away all of that. And Danielle talks about this moment on the podcast, which again, I recommend you listen to as well. We both fell into a lull, into a void. We had worked so hard to build this business that didn't just pay our bills. That was great. But it also gave us this constant stream of appreciation. Every day, a customer would thank us in some form or another. They'd shoot us an email or shout us out on Facebook or even just talk to us through Intercom and tell us personally that they really liked what we're doing. And it was awesome. It gave us the fuel to keep going day after day, 24-7, just the two of us. But once we handed over the company, all of that stopped. No more appreciation, no more motivation. And this is the part where my experience diverges from the one that Danielle had. I believe that she was identifying with the business much more than I was, because she was the visionary, the teacher-turned-entrepreneur who built something for herself and other teachers. I was, would almost say just, the tech co-founder, the facilitator, right? the developer who built the thing and learned how to create a business around it. My connection to the teachers and with the teachers that we served was very real too, but it came from a different place. I knew that this business wasn't just an extension of myself, but it was a product of sorts. For Danielle, it was much closer to her heart, as were the teachers that we served. And I also had something else queued up, at least something in the back of my mind. During Feedback Panda, during those days running the business, I always felt the need to write, but never found the time. I was so caught up in the development of the customer service work that I didn't carve out an hour or two at any point to take my thoughts and put them to paper. It was only when I was already extremely burned out from this day-to-day stuff that I actually started writing. And it wasn't much. It was just a blog post. And in one blog post that I never published, I laid out all those ways that I was struggling with the business and how I tried to solve those issues and often succeeded by using automated systems. And that was the whole post. It was a very cathartic experience, almost like therapy for myself. And it showed me two things. Writing helps me make sense of my problems, and I really enjoy the process. And this last resort attempt at dealing with the stressful life of running a business with over 5,000 customers at this point, with just two founders and no employees, then laid the foundation for what was about to follow for myself. After we sold and fell into that void, I quickly started planning for the next phase of my life. With gaming and just passively consuming stuff being out of the picture, because they promptly had lost their appeal to me, I found my joy of writing to be an internal motivator. And consequently, I began to start writing for this yet-to-be-created blog, which then turned into a real blog, into a newsletter, a podcast, and finally, a book, Zero to Sold. At the same time, I started building an audience on Twitter, sharing my work, my thoughts, and just helping other founders with their businesses right there. And I quickly found the appreciation that I had lost it with Feedback Panda, and that, that just reappeared tenfold within the founder and indie hacker community, who embraced me openly with their support and encouragement. So I found my passion in writing, and I found my people in the founder community. So I threw myself into this work just a couple months after we had sold. We had transitioned Feedback Panda within a month or two after selling back in June 2019, And by November, I was already working on my 10th blog post. 
I wouldn't call myself a workaholic because I think I like napping way too much for that to be true. But I definitely went into a new occupation quite fast. And sometimes I wonder if I should have grieved and reflected on the loss of such a monumental business for longer. I occasionally remember a particular exchange with a customer and the joy that they expressed when we helped them solve their problems. And this immediacy of that feedback is something that I miss. It is much more delayed now. People who read my book or my blog post, they take a few months to actually see the results of applying the concepts and learnings I shared with them. So I can't really feel this as much. But I still feel it when people tell me. All right. Um, the fact that I get to share these thoughts with you today, I think it shows me that I've moved on. There are losses in grief in selling a business, and there's an opportunity to start something new. And in Danielle's episode on a software social podcast, this in-between phase is so aptly called sitting in your discomfort. And I think it's an interesting experience to consider. It's hard to feel good about feeling confused and disoriented, but I think it's just really a natural part of the post-sale process. I've seen entrepreneurs stay in this stage for years and others almost skip it. And I would count myself more towards the, the second one, like to the people who get through this fairly quickly, but it's different for everybody. And if you ever plan to sell your business, consider these experiences and consider how different people are. Talk to founders who've been there. Just let them share their experience with you and consider where your passion and encouragement to do what you want to do will come from after the sale. You don't need to have all the answers, but you just need to consider those questions to be prepared. And I think that's what I wanted to share um, about the whole grief and loss part of selling a business. Now, I would like to get to a question that was sent in by a listener. Torbjörn sent me a few messages a couple of weeks ago, and this one stood out. Here he is. Hey, Arvid. It's Torbjörn again from Copenhagen. Really starting to like this speak now function. <laughs> um, anyway, I was listening to your episode about validation, and it, uh, it reminded me of something I read in a book called The Lean Startup. Um, there's a passage that explains a method called the concierge. Um, might have been the guy who started Groupon who used it, I think. Um, anyway, the concierge method is, is a type of validation where you, you find your absolutely most representative customer of the ideal segment, um, you know, your perfect prospect. And then you really take a deep dive into their problems and motivations and, uh, and their priorities and I mean, I think in the book, they even, you know, they end up scheduling like several weeks of just of meetings, constantly improving this minimum viable product. Um, and it, it's a really, it's like a really in-depth, intense validation. Uh, but I'm kind of curious to try it out myself. And, and I thought it might expand your perspective on uh on the landscape of validation options. Anyway, love the podcast. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Torbjörn. The topic of validation is very important to me, as I find that most founders either skip it or treat it as a second-class citizen in the whole entrepreneurial journey. 
It's certainly something that is hard to get right. And I wrote about this a few weeks ago in the show you mentioned. It's impossible to actually validate something. You can only really try to invalidate something for a long time and see if it still works after that. And I believe that the concierge approach is such a method of quickly trying to invalidate assumptions. But I think it's also a potentially very biased one. So let me explain. When you pick up a prospective customer and you just look at them and try to solve their problem, you get a lot of insight. But none of these learnings are generalizable at that point. You will need to pick a lot of people and solve a lot of their problems until you can unearth commonalities and share challenges. And unless you do that, everything you'll find out will effectively be anecdotal evidence of a potential problem. There's also another problem here, and that is your own selection bias. The customers you pick to be a concierge for may not be representative of your actual future target audience. And while this is not a giant problem, you can always change your audience if it feels like you found a better one in the people you picked, this can cause you to build a solution that's just wrong enough for people to get confused by it and ultimately not pay for it. I'm cautious to suggest this approach for people who are seeking to build self-funded businesses because it's a costly one. It is with good reason that this is also called the white glove method. It's something that in the world of hospitality is considered a luxury service. And unless you can make your initial prospects pay either ahead of your service or immediately after you've helped them, this might be quite expensive for you. The recent wave of successful bootstrap businesses exists because of a certain level of economy of scale. It's not like Uber or Airbnb level of economy of scale, but there's something there, right? We, I, I always share the story of Feedback Panda that we were like two founders and 5,000 customers without an automated system in the back. Um, the, yeah, in the, in the back end of, of Feedback Panda, that wouldn't have happened. So um, then when we talk about these bootstrap businesses, talking about mostly software as a service businesses, and those can serve thousands of customers at the same time, even when they only pay 10 bucks for the service, right? You can still make a living. When you create an info product, you can sell it to thousands of people and also generate some sort of sustainable source of revenue. Of course, a concierge service is not a long-term activity. I understand that it's supposed to validate things. But if you need to serve a lot of people and might be biased even selecting the right ones to begin with, it's a risky endeavor and it could take some time and that could be quite expensive. Now, I've been thinking and writing a lot about problem discovery and validation ever since I started working on the first draft of my next book, Audience First, because it's all connected in a way. So instead of just saying that you should be careful with the concierge approach, which you should be, but you could still do it, let me just be a bit more pragmatic and talk about what I would suggest. There's one particular component of doing things that don't scale, which is, to me, what I've heard the first time about the concierge approach, right? This essay by Paul Graham, which is on his blog, um, about doing things that don't scale. And that is that you get to interact directly with your prospective customers. That's the great thing. That will not happen at scale anymore, because once you have thousands of customers, you will not have the same kind of connection to them as you would have to the first couple of people that you serve. And that should always be at the core of your discovery and validation process. So how can this be accomplished by someone who just wants to start a side business while still working their day job? How can this be done without running into financial troubles? I believe that embedding yourself in your target audience's community allows you to get most of the benefits of this validation approach without the downsides. Observing your audience 
in the safety of the communities where they exchange information and connect with each other will give you insights into their day-to-day problems and needs. And that is the important stuff if you want to figure out how you can help them. Now, it might not surface things quite as quickly as hand-holding a prospect through their day, but it can be done on the, on the side. Right? You, you can do it while you actually have a day job. You just do it in a virtual community, and it can be done without any expenses. And now let's say you have found a problem and you are building a solution. At that point, in, in our field of bootstrapping, you're very likely solving a specific problem, a very specific problem that you've already seen happening to people. They might already be looking for a solution. Now, the concierge approach of businesses like Groupon or maybe even more impressively and fittingly Airbnb helped them find a way to build a completely novel business. And there's always this story of the Airbnb founders actually going to people's apartments with a professional camera or sending a professional photographer and having them take really beautiful pictures of their apartments that would then encourage people to rent it. Now, that is something that didn't have a process yet. But when you talk about a CSV import of one file format that is important in your industry into another format that you need while working with another industry, that is stuff that is already there. It just may not be the perfectly built system that is specifically serving this need, but both the technology and the processes involved are already existing. So I'm not sure that this Airbnb get a photographer to go to somebody's house approach is necessarily as effective for the scalpel-like software tools that most SaaS founders are building. And particularly with SaaS and info products that are supposed to work at scale, I personally would still prefer a feedback loop from a larger community from the start than just a few individuals. But there probably is a middle ground, a way to do both. And if you are a listener of the show and you have done the concierge approach successfully or seen it done successfully for a self-funded business, please reach out to me and share your story. I'd love to hear it because I feel my reservation with this is mostly because I'm looking at it from my own personal perspective and I would love to hear more examples. So thanks again, Torbjörn, for the question. It was an interesting, definitely super interesting thing to think about. And yeah, please send in your questions if you have any, both about this episode or past episodes. I'm super excited to talk about it. So thank you for listening to the Bootser Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootserfounder.com can find my book zero to sold at zero to sold.com if you have any questions about this episode reach out on twitter or send an email to arvid at the bootstrapfounder.com if you want to support me in the bootstrap founder podcast please leave a rating and a review by going to rate this slash founder it'll help other founders and founders to be to find this podcast and learn more about starting running and selling their bootstrap businesses thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day bye bye